I don't know if you can see this, Andrea, but I think I will um, punt to you here. This is a question in the chat. Can you suggest some ideas for practicing with the four foundations? Is it helpful to spend a while on one foundation or maybe to change between them more often? Please. So there are different um, approaches. Both of those approaches can be useful. Um, I would say my own exploration of the four foundations has kind of started with picking one and exploring it in detail. For instance, the five aggregates. Saida encourages us to look at the, the five aggregates. And he says, you need to start by really kind of getting familiar with all of them. They're taking some time, exploring them, getting to know what each of them is. But then after a while, what happens is as there's a kind of familiarity, and so, so too with any of these four, four, uh, four foundation lists, it's kind of like um, we start by kind of orienting, aiming the mind towards, okay, what is, um, what are the, the, the five aggregates? We, we learn about the teachings of them. We learn, about, we learn about body, feeling, perception, mental formations, consciousness, and we're told that we can see all of those in experience. And on the first times of my, you know, really playing with this, I didn't really quite understand perception. And Sayadaw Utejaniya set me off to like, check out perception. So that became a kind of a, a lens through which I started exploring experience. It wasn't so much a trying to see it, it was more of an intention. How, how does perception show up? How can I understand perception? And that began to yield and show some understanding of what was going on there. At this point around the five aggregates, I don't particularly aim at them anymore because there's an understanding of what they are. And at times in practice, it's just like I'm, I'm just being with what's here. And it may be that I see a particular aspect, like I see the perception showing up or I see the feeling tone showing up. And so uh, it often, I think, is with these, with the fourth foundation, it is useful to take some time with one for a little while and begin to get familiar with it. But then, and then after a while, um, it's kind of like what I described with the seeing, hearing, moving, looking. You start with orienting to each of those things, and then it just becomes what you notice. You just get familiar with noticing it, and you don't have to go looking anymore. So it, it can be helpful to begin with a kind of an orientation and pick one, you know, pick one for a little while. Pick one that feels useful to you. You know, you don't have to start with the hindrances first or the, um, the hindrances, the first one in the list. You might think, oh, I better start there. But the, you know, whichever one feels the most juicy to you, whichever one feels the most interest, wherever there's the most interest, I would start there. So that's probably good enough. There's another question. This 
one's probably for me. How does one discern the, discern the difference between longing and grasping? It's a great question. So I'll give you my take on it and then we'll see. Andrea, if you have more to add, so. Um, there are two parts that I would look at. One is longing or grasping for what? So in other words, what's the object? And for me, grasping is uh, what I'm grasping for is often quite different than what I'm longing for. So that can be a helpful way. You know, I may feel a longing and the longing is for being real or being free or being kind, something like that. It's more like an intention or a wish. Whereas grasping has much more of a, you know, what I grew up grasping is more like, uh, I don't know, chocolate cake or a new pair of shoes or, so that, that's, I mean, that's one place to look is just what's the object, right? But maybe more importantly is there is, in my experience, actually quite a different feeling uh, sort of visceral feeling tone in each one. And it's subtle, but in my experience, quite distinct. So grasping, it's, uh, it's like um, grasping to me, I'm gonna do it in sound, because that's how it feels to me a little bit. Grasping is kind of a nails on the chalkboard kind of feeling. It's like, you know, our gears grinding. It has that quality to it. Whereas longing has a, it's kind of like, um, it's like a minor chord on the piano, you know? It has a kind of um, melancholic beauty in it. So I'm, I'm using sound, but for me, the, they actually feel very different. One is kind of softening and tenderizing, and the other has a more of a kind of tightening and you know like setting my jaw and determination in it so really the answer to the question is check it out for yourself but again maybe some of that description would be helpful to, to have you orient because the it's um the exploration of it is more important than the definitive description or definition <laughs> from me to you. So you want to add anything, Andrea? A couple of things kind of came in while you were talking. Um, one piece, a, a different word perhaps that can lend a different flavor. Sometimes words help to give different qualities to, uh, to what we're words have different effects on us. And so another word perhaps around the longing side is aspiration. Mm -hmm. Where, where does our heart, where's our heart like heading that kind of thing. Um, 
and very similar to Pam, it much more, the difference between these two feels very much, for me, it's in, in this area, in the heart. The, the grasping feels tight and constricted in the, in the longing or the aspiration or the movement towards beauty and freedom. It feels open, connected. There's a, there's a flow there. So that there's definitely a different feeling there. And um, another piece around noticing the difference is with grasping, often we have some particular idea about what the outcome is going to look like. <laughs> and with aspiration, we are open to how it unfolds. Mm. So that's, a, that's another kind of way to, to think about those two. It's very much central to uh, our delusion is this belief that if I get what I want and I can get away from what I don't want, then I'll be happy. But in large part, because of impermanence, <laughs> it just doesn't work. We get what we want for a little while and then whoo, there's more, right? We get away from what we don't want. And then, you know, you've all probably had the experience of like going from one living situation to another or one job to another. And that person who annoyed us so much in the first place followed us. They have a different body and a different name and a different haircut and maybe a different gender, whatever it is. But it's the same situation shows up again. <laughs> so it's not, that's not a useful strategy try to move the pieces around in our life. It's more about what we've been emphasizing, which is beginning to shift our relationship to our experience. Yeah. I'll read this next one. Can you talk about how mindfulness can help with insomnia? The teachings of this retreat have helped already, but I would be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Want to take that? Hmm. I think both Andrea and I have had some experience in meditation. That deep, deep meditation practice actually creates insomnia. So it's, at least for <laughs> me, it's a little tricky. Yeah, yeah. it can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, because sometimes sometimes we can, you know, it it it's uh, sometimes we can be trying to be mindful, and that very activity kind of keeps us awake. Mm -hmm. But I would say that you know, if insomnia, you know, sometimes insomnia is around um, habits, patterns of mind, replaying stories in the mind. I know that when um, you know there was a period of time um, where I would notice. I was wake up in the middle of the night and I would kind of be hooked on some story or pattern and, you know, I would try to, to just be with it or something, but it wasn't until I actually, I got up and I put myself in my meditation posture and I just sat, I sat with it, you know, just being with it in the meditation posture was very supportive. And it, it sometimes took a while for me to, to say, okay, you know, I'm not going to fall back asleep here trying to just be aware of it and not, um, not be attached to it while I'm in my, in my sleeping posture. So I'm going to get up and actually sit. 
And I would do that often. I would, for a period of time, I would do this. You know, I would wake up in the middle of the night. The mind would be very active. And I would just get up and put myself in my meditation posture for 45 minutes. You know, I'd set a timer. I would just do a normal sitting. And then I would go back to bed and I would fall asleep. So there was something for me, at least, around just getting up and allowing that mind state or whatever to be processed in a more formal kind of posture. Um, that was really helpful for me with those uh, kind of sticky thoughts. Now, another trick that, um, that I've used, uh, it's not exactly mindfulness, um, but also I found extremely helpful, so I share it with you. Um, often in the middle of the night, you know, the mind is thinking about something, and part of my kind of churning around it was, I can't, I can't forget this. I can't forget this. This is really important. You know, so, so, you know, sometimes just writing it down can be useful. But another, another thing that, that um, ended up being really helpful was uh, kind of promising myself, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to set you down right now. But my mind kind of knew, like, yeah, you say you'll set me down and pick me up, but you'll never pick me up later. So I'm going to keep at you. <laughs> So we figure this out right now. And so I had to make a bargain with myself. I, I, I would say to myself, okay, yep, I see you. You're important to be attended to. This is a little bit about mindfulness, right? Things come up. They're strong. They're asking for attention. And so there's a kind of a, an acknowledgement, essentially, that, yes, I see you and I see that you're important, but now's not the time. But I will get back to you. And you promise yourself, you make an appointment with yourself. I will pay attention to this and think about your day, you know, okay, at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, I can think about this. And then you have to keep your appointment. You have to, you know, you, if, if you don't keep your appointment, when you said you would sit down and reflect on it, then your mind is going to, you know, not believe that you'll actually get to this thing and keep kind of churning it. So, you know, that's another, another tool that I've used. And the next day, sitting down with it, sitting down with it with mindfulness you know, being with it in, in, you know, noticing what's there. Some of it is going to be content, you know, the things that keep us up at night are often content and they may need to be addressed. But the, the practice with content, I talked about this a little bit the other day where, where we talked about noticing the effect that the content has on us when a thought comes up, notice the effect that it has on us. My teacher, Sayadaw Utejaniya, would talk about what he called 50-50 mindfulness. 50% of the attention in the content of what's happening, 50% of the attention in how you are with what's happening. And so that kind of attention to those things that keep us up at night later, you know, when we have kept our appointment with ourselves, that kind of attention is really useful. We have to, we, we may have to have some connection with the content of what's going on, you know, who we need to do something for or why making a decision, a choice between different alternatives, those kinds of things tend to keep us up at night. How do I pick between A and B? So, you know, giving yourself the opportunity to reflect on A and think about how that lands and reflect on B, how does that land? So that there's this interweaving between content and um, how we are with it. Those are a couple things, Pam. Why don't you take a shot? Yeah, I would just, I would just add one other piece, which is that 
um, content or no. So you, I think Andrew was speaking more to the kind of grasping side of uh, insomnia, like there's thoughts and I want to think about them. But there's another, there's an aversion side, which is that for many of us, being awake in the middle of the night is unpleasant. And we don't want to be awake, simple. And so we can start to notice the difference between being awake and then our aversion to what's happening. And at least for myself, often it's the case that when I can feel and feel through the aversion and let that relax, then I fall back to sleep. <laughs> but again, it's the same thing that we've been talking about really all week, that we can see the unpleasant phenomena and then we can see our reaction to it and we can work with it in that way. Another piece along those lines that you made me remember is like the, the, the thought that arises in the middle of the night. I'm awake. I've got so much to do tomorrow. I have to sleep. You know, that kind of that aversive side of it too. You know, and it's just like what, I've, what I have found is that a lot of the aversion, like Pam says, you know, a lot of that aversion, it's, it's actually, you know, it's not only keeping you awake, but it's draining you of energy. Mm -hmm. And so you'll be more tired the next day if you are all, you know, turned up about, how hard it's going to be if you're exactly. not sleeping. Yeah. Um, and what I've seen is that, yes, there are nights where the mind is just awake. And if I'm not averse to it, the next day, you know, I get through it. There's a lot more capacity for us to deal with things than we, than we give ourselves credit for. So, yeah, I, I, had, I, yeah, I had kind of gone off on that, the, the one side and had kind of forgotten about the other side. So... That's an important side of it too. So we have a couple of other questions that I think are in the same vein, which I'll read. I'm wondering how longing for love fits into this discussion. We've been having about grasping versus longing, one having more beauty than the other. And love seeming to be part of wisdom. So my mind can argue that longing for love is part of wisdom. And yet it can feel so painful sometimes, like grasping. So I'm interested in your thoughts on this. The second person is thanking the first for the question. He says, I second that emotion. Also, longing for youth would have been my question, which I understand is an expression of ex or experience of grief arising. So I would just, in both cases, go back to what Andrew was pointing to a little bit ago, which is that and this is the basic meditation instruction. What we're longing for, and then the longing itself. So when our attention, this is just what Andrew was saying about 50-50, right? So when our attention is completely wrapped up in the object of, maybe we don't know, is it grasping, is it longing? But when we're gripped on that object, a person, youth, you know, wanting to look a certain way or to have something or someone, then they're suffering. When we can step back and actually feel what's here, so we, we pull back off of the object into the direct experience and we say, what is this? Is this longing or is this grasping? And then we don't assume we know right away, but we find out for ourselves. And the, if it's grasping, it's going to have a lot of pain in it. 
if it's longing, it may also be kind of bittersweet in a way, but it has a different quality in it. And that's something only we can discover for ourselves. And sometimes it's all, they're kind of tangled up together. It's often the case that our, there, there is some true longing. That's what I meant by looking for love in all the wrong places. We may think, oh, that's what I want. But actually, that's not what I want at all. That's just my habit. Is imagining that if I just get X, a person or you know, a new pair of jeans or whatever it is, then everything will be solved. My longing, my, my, what I want will be uh, complete. But that's not how it works. When we actually feel into that, we may feel just like I was saying about, I feel irritation and under the irritation, often there's sadness. Well, for me, often if I can stay with the grasping, Releasing the object of grasping and actually feel the grasping often under the grasping There's a deeper kind of longing But that longing as Andrea was saying earlier. It may not have a, a specific object You know that I'm longing for love Okay, but I don't know how that's gonna come So there's an openness in the longing whereas the grasping has more of a tightness in it You may have more to add, but that's a, another take. And there's not a lot of time left, so, but I will add one piece, and that is, you know, the longing actually sometimes is actually um, connected <clears throat> with metta itself. You know, the, the longing for connection, the longing, and that, that wish for connection is a metta wish. So there's that, um, that movement in the longing. There can be this kind of sense of the, the kind of the open heart kind of wanting to be connected and feeling like, so the, the reason it feels like there's an issue with it or a problem with it is again, because we may think like, for instance, that feeling of longing, that feeling of wanting connection needs it to be reciprocated, mm -hmm. that it's not valid going out unless there's something coming back. And in my own exploration of this, when I really touch into that, that feeling of longing, that wish for that connection, and really feel that feeling, it is metta. And the surprise for me in feeling that was that that feeling of the metta kind of just coming out and radiating, that was the feeling that I wanted. Mm -hmm somebody else to give me and so the the kind of the exploration of the longing led to its own kind of resolution in a way very beautiful to really taste that that wish for connection that wish for love it's a beautiful wish if there's any idea that it's not appropriate because it's not returned that's something to look at i think that's that's enough there lots of questions on longing but we probably 
need to stop unless you have a, a, a one minute response I'm thinking, to what is under the melancholy feeling about longing to be young again well it's just what i said we don't like impermanence <laughs> we don't like the fact that impermanence is pointing to our impermanence and that can be a place that we turn and get afraid or tight or upset and it can also be a place that allows us to feel the fullness and beauty of the life that we have. So again, it's always in our relationship to what's here, not so much the thing in itself. And I, I mean, yes, I think, is it wanting connection? Yeah. And this is just, I'll say the last thing before we close, which is that one way to understand what we're doing here is that we're learning, I said this the first day, about how to be intimate, how to stay connected to our own experience. Some of it's pleasant, some of it's unpleasant, some of it's neither pleasant or unpleasant, but we're learning this practice of intimacy in a simplified environment. Why? Because we understand that being intimate with our experience is deeply satisfying, even if we don't like the experience that's happening. And as we learn to do this with ourselves, we're building the muscle, as it were, the capacity to be able to make real connection with other people, with the planet, with our, our external, more, our louder, <laughs> busier kinds of experiences as well. This is really what we're up to, is learning that capacity. So yes, a lot of it is about connection because we feel split, we feel separated, we feel ice cubed. And there's a deep longing in us to be whole, to be connected, as you're saying. That's right. Yeah. So I think we'll um, close here for the evening. And uh, yeah, I really invite you to stay close to your experience, whatever it is, maybe pleasant or unpleasant or neutral in between. And um, yeah, we're in, a, we're in a kind of, you can feel the ending of the retreat, you know, the spirit of impermanence and coming and going. And some of you maybe can't wait, and for others, there may be a bit of a melancholic feeling about it. Um, so just really to be tender with yourself wherever you are in this process, and uh, stay close to whatever is here, whatever's true. And we will see you tomorrow morning at 8.30. Thank you all very much.